0: hello my brothers and sisters thank you for joining us once again for during bible study podcast i'm your host steve Kitts. well let's get into it with a prayer and then we'll get into the message lord heavenly father we thank you and we praise you lord for your wonderful grace and love and we thank you lord for giving us this guidance and the ability and the platform to be able to talk to people and to share your word with them and maybe it bless somebody today if it does lord bless them hearty we thank you and we praise you lord Give us this word, give us the Holy Spirit to help us, guide us and to teach us and to help us get this message out to the ones that need it. We Your blessed, holy name we beg. Amen. King Herod at the time of the birth of Jesus. Herod the King was known as Herod the Great. He was the son of the Antipater the Edomite. He became king by a Roman decree in 43 BC. In the days of King Herod. In an attempt to kill the infant Jesus, Herod the Great, king of Judea, sent envoys to massacre all the boys, the baby boys, in Bethlehem. Historical records have numerous events that took place in the days of King Herod, events that throw light on the context of Jesus' life and ministry that we see in Matthew 2, 1-16. What made Herod want to kill Jesus? And why was it when Jesus was born, the Jews had a king? But when Jesus died, Pontius Pilate, a Roman, was governing over them. To get a full picture of Herod's role in history, and to understand why he is important to the Bible readers, we need to look back several decades before Jesus' birth. There was a power struggle in Judea. In the first half of the second century of Judea, it was ruled by Assyrian Cyclacus, one of the four dynasties that was formed after the breakup of the empire of Alexander the Great. However, about 168 BCE, when the Secudan king attempted to replace worship of the Jehovah in the cultures of Zeus at the temple in Jerusalem, the Jews, they were led by the Maccabee family, revolted. The Maccabees, or the Hasmoneans, ruled in Judea from 142 BCE to 63 BCE. So in 66 BCE, two Hasmonean princes, Haskram II and his brother Astrobalus, fought for succession to the throne. The civil war ensued, and both sought the aid of Pompey, a Roman general who was at the time in Syria. Pompey jumped at the chance to interfere. The Romans, in fact, were extending their influences eastward and by this time they had controlled much of the Asian minor. A series of weak rulers in Syria, however, had allowed the area to sink into anarchy, menacing the peace that the Romans desired to maintain in the east. So Pompey had stepped in to annex Syria. His resolution to the Hasmanian quarrel was to back Hacrus, And in 63 BCE, the Romans stormed Jerusalem to install their own nominee. Hacrones, however, was not going to be the independent ruler. Romans now had a foot in the door and were not about to be removed. Hacronis, because of the Roman in-charge, who had ruled by the grace of the Romans dependent on the goodwill and support to maintain his throne. He could administer interval affairs as he wished, but for foreign relations, he had to confront, conform to the Roman policies. So the rise of Herod. Hacronus was a weak-willed ruler. He was supported, though, by Antipater, and Menian and the father of Herod the Great. Antipyre was the power behind the throne. Uh, he kept ruthless Jewish fashions at bay and soon took the effect effectively controlling all of Judea. He helped Julius Caesar fight his foes in Egypt, and the Roman rewarded the Antipyre uh, by raising him into position of the procurator, answering to them directly. The Antipater, in turn, anointed his sons, Pharisel and Herod, as governors of Jerusalem and Galilee, respectively. Antipater taught his sons that nothing could be achieved without Roman consent. Herod remembered that lesson very well. Though through his career he struggled the demands of his Roman patriarchs with all his Jewish subjects. He was aided by his skill as an organizer and as a general. On his appointment as governor, the 25-year-old Herod promptly won himself the admiration of the Jews and the Romans alike by victoriously eliminating bands of bandits from that area. After rivals poisoned the Antipater, his father, in 43 BCE, Herod became the most powerful man in Judea. Yet... He had enemies. Jerusalem Antichristi considered him absurd and sought to persuade Rome to remove him, and that attempt failed. Rome was loyal to Antipar's memory and valued his son's abilities. Made King of Judea Pompey's solution to the Hasmonean secession crisis some 30 years Or 20 years earlier, were embedded because someone had to feel better, better, and resentful of many. The successful, fashion-repeated attempt to retake the power, and in 40 B.C.E. they succeeded with the help of Rome's enemy, the Parthians. Exploiting the chaos created in the civil war in Rome, they invaded Syria, disposed of and installed an anti-Roman member of the Hemermos family. Herod fled to Rome, where he was receiving a warm welcome. The Romans wanted the Parthians out in the Judea and the territory returned to the control with an acceptable leader. They needed a reliable ally and saw Herod as their man. The Roman Senate thus crowned Herod king of Judea. In the act symbolically, and many compromised that Herod would have made, made to maintain his grip of power, he led a procession from the Senate to the Temple of Jupiter, where he sacrificed to the pagan gods. Helped by the Roman legions, Herod defeated the enemies in Judea and reclaimed his throne. His revenge upon those who had opposed him was brutal. He eliminated the Hasmorones and the Jewish Antichristi who had supported them, as well as the others who chafed him at having a friend in Rome ruling over them. Herod consolidates his power in 31 BCE when Octavius emerged as the undisputed ruler of the Romans by defeating Mark Anthony at the Actium. Herod realized his long-standing relationship with his friend Mark Anthony would soon be viewed with suspicion. So Herod hastily to assure Octavius of his loyalty. The new Roman ruler in turn confirmed Herod as the king in Judea and enlarged his territory. In the years that followed, Herod stabilized and enriched the kingdom transforming Jerusalem into the center of Hellenistic culture. He embarked upon great construction projects, building palaces in the port city of Caesarea, and grand new edifices in Jerusalem's temple. All the while, the focus on his policy and sources of his strength were friendships with Rome. Herod's control over Judea was total. His authority was absolute. Herod had manipulated the high priest, appointing all the offices of whom he had wished. Well, let's talk about his murderous jealousies, though. Herod's private life was turbulent. Many of his ten wives wanted one of their sons to succeed the father. Powell's intrigues aroused Herod's suspicion and his cruelties. In a fit of jealousy, he had his favorite wife, Marmonin, executed and later her two sons strangled for alleged po- plots against him. Matthew's account of the Bethlehem massacre was thus harmonized with what we know of Herod's temper and his resolvement to eliminate possible rivals. Some say that, uh, aware of his own unpopularity, Herod was determined that at his death, when it should be met with a national mourner, instead of having everybody rejoice, in a scheme that achieved that goal, he arrested all of Judea's leading citizens and ordered them to be executed when his own death was announced. We know that that order was never carried out, that Herod's own sister put a stop to that killing. The Legacy of Herod the Great On Herod's death, Rome decreed that Archelaus succeeded his father as ruler of Judea and two other sons becoming independent princes or tetrarchs: Antipas over Galilee and Peri, Philip over Interus and Triasus, Archulus provided unpopular in his subjects and his masters. After a decade of his ineffective dominion, the Romans removed him and appointed their own governor, the predecessor of Pontius Pilate. In the meantime, Antipas, who Luke simply calls Herod, and Philip continued to govern their own tetras, or territories. This was a political situation that started of Jesus' ministry, and we see that in Luke 3 and 1. Herod the Great was an absolute politician and a ruthless murderer. Probably his worst act of being his attempt to kill the infant Jesus. Examining Herod's historical role as useful for Bible readers, it helps eliminate key events of the period, explaining how the Romans become rulers over the Jews and set the stage for Jesus' early life ministry. Now, the wise men from the East. The wise men were originally the priests cast among the Persians and the Babylonians. These magi from the East were experts in the studies of the stars, which means that they weren't Hebrews locally who had copies of the Old Testament books just lying around nor was it likely that they grew up Jewish and memorized large portions of the scriptures, including the verse and the numbers to speak of the coming star that they seen. In Numbers twenty-four seventeen, it says, I shall see him, but not now, and I shall behold him, but not by night. And there shall come a star out of Jacob, and the scepter shall rise out of Israel and smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Shebeth. So how was it these wise men from afar were drawn by a strange star in the sky to search for a savior in the first place? So where did the Magi come from? Most scholars believe that the wise men or Magi in the Christmas story were descendants of the wise men mentioned in the Old Testament book of Daniel. The common legend about the wise men said that they were three of them, Named Melchar, Belthazar, and Gaspar, from three different nations—Babylon or Babylonia, Persia, and India—we know that there were more than three of them, more than likely, with staff and security, maybe family as well, because it was a long journey. Tradition claims that there are only three loyal visitors. Two are also kings. Three were all that we we'll read about giving gifts. Born king of the Jews, the wise men naturally came to Jerusalem, the royal city of Israel, seeking the one whom was to be born king of the Jews. Based on their calculation of the stars, his star could not be merely a natural phenomenon since it led the wise men to Jerusalem, and later to Bethlehem. We know that they got close to Jerusalem, that they couldn't see the star anymore. That's why they went to the local king to find out where the newest king was born. King Herod didn't know any child that would be born in his kingdom. If you know how controlling King Herod was, then you would know that he knew that each person close to him, what they even had to eat that day. And there was no way that one of his wives or handmaidens could have had a child without him knowing. Now the custom was to bring gifts to the newborn child, newborn king. Every king wanted to give the newest royal child something to show that they were friendly to that kingdom. This kept kings from attacking the kingdoms that bordered them. King Herod called together all the people's chief priests and uh, the teachers of the law, so he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. The scribes answered right away. You see, the educated people around the king knew all about the birth. Even the place, Bethlehem, that was a day's walk away from the king's castle. They knew, but they didn't care enough Go look for themselves. Now the wise men knew where they had to go when they headed out. King Herod talked to them secretly and asked them, once they found this new king of the Jews, that he would come back, or they would come back and tell him, so he could go worship him himself. King Herod was an evil man, and that he was talking about killing someone who thought about talking to the spot on taking his spot on the throne. As they headed off to Jerusalem, about six miles away, they suddenly started seeing that star again. When they thought they had not been able to see it while they were traveling in Jerusalem, it was indeed going to be before them and now appearing once again, probably in the morning sky, bright and shiny. The biblical account says that the star came and stood over where the young child was in Matthew 2 and 9. This seems to indicate that the star had reached its zenith point over Bethlehem. Obviously, they didn't need the star to guide them to Bethlehem, but when they saw it again, they were rejoicing with exceedingly great joy, because this meant that their understanding of the scripture was right, and it indeed was his star. When you're seeking God and looking for him, he will send you a guiding light. After they saw the child with his mother Mary... They bowed down and worshipped him. It most certainly was a divine manifestation used by God to, in fact, be the place of the Messiah's birth. These wise men heeded the warning from God. An angel had spoke to them in a dream, and God does that. He speaks to people many times in dreams in the Bible. They would heed the warning of the danger and not go back the direction they came. They changed direction once they seen them, Jesus. And we do that. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we don't go back to that same direction that we were in. In Matthew 2 and 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. We must be able to follow God's instruction and not man's. They didn't even go back to Jerusalem. They might have needed supplies or to buy goods for their trip home that they could get easily in that bigger city, but they choose not to take that route that would lead them back into trouble because they were wise. Matthew 23 and 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child, And his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring thee word for Herod will seek the child to destroy him. Angels are ministering spirits and God sent this message to Joseph by the angel of the Lord. Some think that the angel was the angel Gabriel because he had been used to tell Mary that she would have a child and Joseph to marry Mary. You see, God knows everything even before it happens. This was called foreknowledge, not predestination. The young child was not a baby. Some think that he would be closer to the age of two. Because the command by King Herod was to kill all male children two years old and younger. The mass murder was to destroy the new king of the Jews. This was not the first joseph had of heavenly dreams another joseph had a dream in genesis and about the ruling of his brothers that would take him through some trials before it all came true as we said before egypt has always been used as refuge here joseph would hide with jesus until the danger was over throughout the bible egypt fulfills a dual role of both a place of refuge And a place of oppression, a place to come out of, and a place to flee to. In Matthew 2 and 14, when he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, Joseph heeded God's warning. They left in darkness so that no one will be aware of the direction that they went. I tell my kids that nothing good happens after midnight. But with God's protection on you, no harm can come to you. Most people do not travel by night, and Herod would not expect them to travel by night either. Thinking of all the bandits and no-gooders that are out there, Egypt, a territory which was in the jurisdiction of Herod, was at least 40 miles away. Let me remind you that not only are they a small single family, but they are now super rich because of the gifts of the wise men. Traveling in the bandit-ridden roads were scary in a group just to think about as a journey through to Egypt. God had to provide them with a safe road in front of them because he sent them. If God tells you to do something, then go and do it and don't worry. Let him handle it. In Matthew 2 and 15, And was there until death of Herod? That at might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord of the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. The death of Herod. Recent scholars have set up the date around 4 BC, and it's probable that the stay in Egypt was very brief, perhaps more like a few weeks. Out of Egypt, this quote comes from Hosea 11 and 1, which speaks of God's leading Israel out of Egypt. In the Exodus, Matthew suggests that the Israel sojourned in Egypt was a pictorial prophecy rather than the specific verbal one, as in verse 6. These are called types, which are all fulfillments in Christ and identified clearly by the New Testament writers. Another example of the type is found in John three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the certain serpent in the wilderness, even so let the Son of Man be lifted up. Every detail of the prophecy is fulfilled, as we said earlier in this lesson. It is interesting to note again that Joseph, one, the coat of many colors, Joseph, who was a type and a shadow of Jesus, was a refugee in Egypt as well. Throughout the Bible, Egypt fulfills a dual role Both of a place of refuge and a place of oppression. A place to come out of and a place to flee to. Like Moses, Jesus comes out of Egypt, escaping the temptation of luxury, ease, and peaceful life. Instead, he will fulfill the will of God and follow a lifelong road to Jerusalem. As we read and study the Bible more, we see things are being fulfilled. Why would God let such an evil ruler be in charge of the chosen people at the time of Jesus' birth to fulfill the prophecy and allow the world to see that no matter who the person is running the country, God will still be over everything. God's will will be done. When God tells you to go and do something, then go and do it, knowing that God has the finished product already done. Well, I want to close in a prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we know, Lord, that no matter who rules our time right now, Lord, that we can look to you for our guidance and our our peace and our love. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we lift you up. In your blessed name we beg. Amen.